Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Um, If you are new to us today, either in the building or online, um, I suppose I would say that the things we do when we gather together reflect what we believe about God. So, Um, We often speak of the Christian faith as being like a relationship. It's about knowing God. And um, what do you do in a relationship? Well, in a good relationship, you communicate. And so everything we are doing today involves us us either speaking to God in in song or in prayer, um, but also him speaking to us. And our conviction is that the Bible is not any ordinary book, but it is God's word to us. And that's why we're going to spend some time now uh, looking at it and listening to it. And that passage from Romans chapter 8. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you that you do speak. And we pray now that you would, that we'd hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lara Pinta Trail winds for 140 miles through the wilderness of Australia's Northern Territory. It runs from Alice Springs to the Sonder Mountain, And on the way, it crosses some beautiful but seriously inhospitable terrain. 
Two years ago, a young Californian man was hiking that trail, but when he attempted to climb Sonder Mountain, he took a wrong turn and became separated from his companion. He thought he was heading the right way, so he kept pressing on and on in the dry, arid, inhospitable landscape where there was no shade. The temperature reached the mid-40s. It's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And very sadly, the young Californian man was never seen alive again. His body was eventually found at the end of the wrong path that he'd taken. And can I say that this part of the book of Romans says that that tragic story is a good metaphor for life. Notice at the end of verse 4 that Paul speaks about those who live either according to the flesh or according to the spirit. Now you might think, what does that mean? Well, we'll get into that in a moment. For now, you need to know that that word live there, live according to the flesh, is more literally the word walk. In other words, as, as Paul, who's the author, continues to unpack the, the Christian faith in this book of Romans, he's saying very clearly that in life, there are just two ways to walk. So picture your life as a journey. We often hear that, don't we? Life is a journey. The question is, which route will you take? And bear in mind that each of those two possible routes through life has a destination. Paul says you can walk what he calls in the flesh, which leads to eternal death. Or you can walk what he calls in the spirit, which leads to resurrection and eternal life. And if you have the service sheet or on the screen, you'll see that's our first heading today. Two ways to walk. We're going to trace both of these routes through the first 11 verses. And you'll see on the slide, here's the first route you could take. You could walk in the flesh. Let's unpack what we mean. So read from verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, he says there is no condemnation for those who, through Jesus, walk in the Spirit. And that's the glorious truth we're going to come to in a moment. For now, notice that the opposite of that is also true. The other path that you could walk, the path that Paul will in a moment call walking according to the flesh, that means that you would face God's condemnation. Now that might seem a hard thing to say, but we will never appreciate the gospel that offers no condemnation Unless and until we see that without Christ, condemnation is exactly what we deserved and exactly where we were heading. So without Jesus, we were, look at the end of verse 2, caught up in the law of sin and death. Now when he says the law there, that's a reference to the law that God gave to Moses in the Old Testament, God's moral law. And so that phrase, the law of sin and death, is really just a shorthand way of describing what we saw last week in chapter 7. That is, without Jesus, we are wedded to that law. But like a dead-end marriage, our relationship with the law is leading us nowhere. In fact, our relationship with God's law is quite a dysfunctional one. Because whilst that law of God is good, well, it just shows us our sin. 
And a law is good at showing you what is wrong, but a law doesn't help you to fix it. So God's law was a law that just highlighted our sin and therefore ultimately would just lead us on to death and judgment. And the reminder comes here again that that without Jesus and without the rescue he brings, there's nothing we could do to change this awful predicament. Just look at verse 6 now. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, when Paul says mind here, he kind of means that the command and control center of your life. The reality is, without Jesus, our minds are actually hostile to God. And there's nothing we can do to please him. Now, please understand, that does not mean that that non-Christians can never do any good. Of course not. But it does mean that ultimately God can have nothing to do with and will take no pleasure in those who remain lost in their sin. And remember, by the way, if you are now a Christian, you have no reason to self-righteously look down on anybody else because that was exactly your situation before Jesus came to save you. So if we walk in the flesh without Jesus, that is if we just continue to be commanded and controlled by ourselves and by our own sinful nature, Paul says our minds are hostile to God, we cannot please him, his law cannot help us because all that does is serve to highlight our sin all the more, and we are heading to a day of condemnation and death in the courtroom of God. And add to all of that, all of this is just, because it's no more than I deserve. You need to think about that. And that is deadly serious. Paul says that is what life without Jesus is like. And when you begin to get that, you will realize, or perhaps realize again, how amazing Those words are in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so here is the second way to walk through life. The other option available, if I can put it that way. We can instead walk in the Spirit leading to resurrection Life. There is a transformation that's possible. How does the transformation come to us? Well, it comes, no, no surprises for guessing, it comes through Jesus Christ. If we trust in Jesus, we get united to him, which means we get all of his benefits. When we trust in Jesus, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteous status, his goodness. He bears the condemnation we deserve on the cross, and for us it's removed completely. He dies our death and gives us his resurrection life. And more than that, we now have God's own Holy Spirit to live in us and to help us to walk our new walk. And so instead of being what Paul calls bound to the law of sin and death, we are now instead walking according to the law of the Spirit who gives life. 
Now, you will probably ask, that sounds like a lot of Christian jargon. What do you mean? What is the law of the Spirit that gives life? You might say, hang on, I, I thought as a Christian I was done with God's law. What does all this mean? Well, verse 4 sheds a bit of light. Have a look there. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Keep that verse in mind. So, (laughs) this life according to the law of the Spirit, it means two things. It is firstly a righteousness received, something we get. And secondly, it's a righteousness written. I'll say more about that in a moment. First, it's a righteousness received. Now, it's important to remember that that Jesus didn't just die the death we deserved on the cross to, to bear our sins. That's wonderfully true. But Jesus also lived the life of perfect obedience to God's law that we never have and never could live. Let me explain it this way. When Morag and I got married, we, we created a joint bank account. Um, whatever was in my account was credited to hers and vice versa. Now, to be honest, at that stage, the only thing we had to share was a big pile of student debt. Um, but you get the point. When we trust in Jesus, his perfect, good, righteous record, the sinless life that he lived, that was credited to our account. That phrase in verse 2, the law of the spirit who gives life. Again, the, the, the law there is most likely a, a reference to the law of Moses, the, the moral law of God. The law that we never kept, but Jesus perfectly did. So the first thing to know is that, that those who are Christians, those who are walking this new path in life, the way of the spirit, we have received a righteousness from Jesus. We have been given it, gifted it, credited it to our account. That perfect obedience of Jesus, it's now ours and it's leading us to eternal life. And that is really good news. But there's something else, there's a second thing here which is also crucial. When we trust in Jesus, God also writes his moral law on our hearts by his spirit. So that to start and and live for God is no longer a question of just referring to some sort of cold external written code. It begins to become an internal desire of my heart and your heart. So it's a righteousness received, but it's also a righteousness that's written on our hearts. That's the new way of life that Paul talks about, walking in the way of the Spirit. A righteousness received, but also a righteousness written, so that we can begin slowly and falteringly and failingly to to live in a way that pleases God with the help of His Spirit. And so if you're a Christian, your mind, the command and control center of your life, begins to change. Look at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And can I say, this is 
the best way to live. This is the good life that we all want. It brings life and health and peace to our minds. Paul adds, verse 9, You are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So the other thing to notice here, I hope you can see it, is, is how important, how central God the Holy Spirit is to the Christian life. I didn't plan that we'd be doing that question on the catechism with this week, but it ties in very well. It would be a tragedy if God the Holy Spirit became the sort of forgotten uh, member of the Trinity, like the drummer in the band who everyone ignores. As an aside, let me say that the Holy Spirit gets associated with all kinds of things, not always rightly, but can you see here what his primary role is? It's to lead you to Jesus and then to live in you, helping and enabling you to live a life that is obedient to God. So if you're looking for a Christian you know, in whom the Spirit is powerfully at work, well, a key thing to look for would be someone who is disciplined in their obedience to God's word, someone who loves the Bible. And I say that because sometimes you come across those who will accuse churches, perhaps like ours, of being what they call Father, Son, and Holy Bible churches. In other words, churches that are all about the Bible, and therefore they think not open to the work of the Holy Spirit. But can you see how dreadfully misguided that is? The Holy Spirit inspired the authors of Scripture. This is his book. And he writes the word, the law of God on our hearts to help us obey it. So, so the Spirit of God and the Word of God always go together. They should never be divided. The Holy Spirit is vital in the life of every Christian. And notice I say every Christian. That's important as well. Look at the end of verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. In other words, it is not possible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And I say that because, again, you'll come across some who will, who will try to say, ah, I know you're a Christian, but are you a Spirit-filled Christian? And the answer there is, well, there isn't any other kind of Christian. Because without the powerful work of God's Spirit, you would never have trusted in Jesus in the first place. Now, to be sure, there are those Christians who are more spiritually mature than others. Um, there would be those, to use the language of Galatians, which is another one of Paul's letters, who, who keep in step with the Spirit more than others. But there is no such thing as a Christian who does not have God's Spirit. To be a Christian is to, to live or to walk, as Paul says, by the Spirit. There isn't any other way. And just like Life according to the flesh, the second way to walk, life according to the Spirit, it also has a destination. It's a path that's leading somewhere. Look at verse 10 now. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, our bodies are all decaying, I'm afraid, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, which he is if you're a Christian, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Our path 
has a destination. That means we are heading, if we trust in Jesus, to eternal life in the presence of God. Now, that eternal life in one sense begins now because it's eternal. But we will be with Jesus immediately after our physical death. And then one day will follow the resurrection of our bodies. We will get new resurrection bodies when Jesus returns to wrap up history. But don't get lost in the detail, though. Paul's point is this. There are two ways to walk through life. And so the key question is, which are you on? Let me plead with you, if you haven't yet, to trust in Jesus, to, to come over, as it were, onto that way of walking. You can receive him today. But if we have done that, and I guess that's many people in, in our congregation here and online today, if we have done that, then there are two conclusions that Paul says we should draw from all of this. And that's our second heading today, much more briefly. Two conclusions to draw You'll see them both. Here's the first on the screen. We, as Christians, have a great obligation. Hopefully you've seen this so far from the letter of Romans. Jesus has done everything we need to bring us to God. If you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, you are secure in his family. It's all because of him, because of his life of righteousness that has been credited to you, because of his death on the cross that has taken away your sin and the punishment that it deserved. In him, you have died to your old way of life. His resurrection guarantees your resurrection to eternal life. In other words, Jesus has done it all. You and I contribute nothing. But... It would be a great mistake then to sit back and do nothing, and to let go and let God, as that very unhelpful phrase goes. The New Testament never speaks in those terms. Instead, Paul says, this is verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians here, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Jesus has done everything necessary to bring you to God. But as a Christian, your obligation, that's Paul's word, is to be active now in putting sin to death in your life. To, to be proactive in kicking it out wherever you find it. And man, you will find it in your life. And so do I. The question is, what are you doing in life to give sin the boot? That's one sign, actually, that we really have trusted Jesus, that we really do belong to him, that, that we have been changed, and we want now to, to fight to kick sin out. We don't always get it right, but that's our desire. Paul says we have an obligation, and yeah, that really does involve effort on our part it's an active process that that you have to be involved in but you don't do it alone paul says god's spirit now lives in us if by the spirit you put to death paul says so we pray for the spirit's help to, to kick out our greed and our envy and our rage and our selfishness and our lack of love, love for neighbors and i'm just listing the ones that i struggle with we have a great obligation. 
What sins are you working on kicking out just now? But, finally, briefly, not just a great obligation, but we have a glorious position as well. Look at verse 14. This might be one of my favorite parts of the book of Romans. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, which means Father. So we need to fight the sin that belongs to our old way of life. But we do that whilst confidently enjoying and knowing our wonderful position in our new life. If you're a Christian, you are now an adopted child in the family of God. We need to be clear here. Paul is saying that only those who trust in Jesus as their saviour can call God Father. Now, sometimes folk will say, we're all God's children. And I kind of know what people mean by that. Sometimes we'll sing that hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. I'm sorry if I'm about to um, knock your favorite hymn now. It's a nice song, but it's kind of a bit misleading. Because in the Bible, only those who trust in Jesus as their Savior can rightly call God Father. We had to be adopted into that into the family of God. But Paul says, if you're an adopted child, you need not fear. You need have no more fear. You need not fear God's condemnation. If you belong to him, what kind of good father condemns their forgiven adopted child? Not a good father, and God is a good father. No fear of condemnation. We need not fear being powerless to change either. What good father doesn't help and instruct their child to grow in the family likeness? Every good father does that and God is a good, good father. And what's more, if that wasn't enough to blow your mind, this will be. Verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. And co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. We're going to focus on Christ's sufferings next week, so I'll park that. But notice what Paul says. He says that if you're a Christian, you are heirs, an heir in the family of God. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that one day uh, God is going to cark it and die, and then you'll get his stuff. That's not the point. The point is that you will definitely absolutely without any question receive everything that God has promised you because you're an heir in the family no one can snatch away from you the forgiveness and the adoption and and the, the peace of mind that God has given to his children the young Californian hiker was walking the Larapinta trail and he took a wrong turn And tragically, he lost his life at the end of that wrong path. And Paul here is saying there are just two paths to walk through life. And so I guess he would implore you, and so so do I, to receive Jesus 
if you have not yet, as your saviour, and then to walk this changed way of life in the spirit of God, knowing that God is your father, knowing that you are his child, and knowing that at the end of your path through life, in fact, even now, you will find true, lasting, and eternal life. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you that in your word, the Bible, you speak to us. We pray for each person here in the building and those watching at home. Lord, we pray that you would speak to each person today through your word. We thank you for what you have said through it. And we pray that your spirit would take this word and apply it to our own individual situations. Lord, we pray that you'd move us to see how greatly we need Jesus and how wonderful it is to be adopted as your child. We pray for those who have already been adopted that you would strengthen us and help us by your spirit to take an active role in putting the old way of life to death. We pray too that you would help us to know and to enjoy our position as undeserving yet adopted children in your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to birkheadfreechurch.org.